0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, well, let's go to the word this morning. Let me begin by asking you a question. Have you ever had a personal encounter that was so strong, it changed your life. Just a moment, uh, a time, it could have been a season. I know for me, I have. I've had a number of those in my life. Uh, the day I got married was a life-changing day for me. I can still see it in my mind. Uh, I still remember uh, who was with me and, and what all took place. I just, I, I've captured that. It was a life-changing moment. The day, the two days that we adopted our children were life-changing moments for me. I still hold those images in my head and in my heart very deeply in those moments. But there was an encounter that I had that changes all of the other life-changing encounters that I've ever had, and that was the moment that Christ saved me. And I've told this story a number of times, so I won't elaborate today, but Late one night, up in an attic bedroom in the home we were living in, which was formerly my great-grandparents' home, so a house with a lot of meaning, it incidentally stood for the preacher's quarters, because all the guest preachers for their church stayed in this room, and it had become my room. I encountered Jesus at the age of 16, I knew much about him, but what took place that night was a life-changing experience like none other and it's changed all of my other life-changing encounters that I've ever had. When we come to John 11, we are looking into life-changing encounters with the person of Jesus Christ and we're going to begin today at verse 28 but I need to give you a little understanding of the first 27 verses that we covered a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is up north of Jerusalem quite a ways and Mary and Martha the sisters of Lazarus have sent word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick and Lazarus and Mary and Martha were very close personal friends of Jesus and so they told him please come because he's very ill they knew that he was likely going to die if Jesus didn't show up. And so they sent this word, and when Jesus got the news, it was a little odd, because when it first first struck him, he paused and he said, This illness doesn't lead to death, for this has occurred that the Son of Man might be glorified. Wow, thanks for being so warm and compassionate with your response. But our brother is sick, right? And we see that, so you're kind of struck by an odd response that Jesus has at first. And then a couple of days later, Jesus says to his disciples, now we will go to Bethany. And so they had to go south through Jerusalem to get to the small village of Bethany. And his disciples said, Lord, all of those who want to kill you are in Jerusalem. If we go through Jerusalem, they will find you and they will kill you. And Jesus said, this is that the Son of God might be glorified. The Father's will and so they went. Well, before they got to the village of Bethany, Martha heard that he had come. And she comes running out to him. And she says to him, Lord, if you had gotten here, I know that you could have prevented my brother from dying. And so they had this encounter with Martha. And it's a very powerful moment where Jesus teaches her that he is the resurrection and the life. And yet we walk away from that at the end of verse 27 knowing that... All that Jesus is saying is not fully known yet by Martha. And so we pick up today at verse 28 with yet another powerful, life-changing encounter with Martha's sister, Mary. Go with me to verse 28 of John 11 and let's see what takes place. See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Friends, from one personal powerful encounter to the next today, I want you to see this, that Jesus works with resurrection power in the life of all who believe in him. And today, the first encounter we see is actually the second encounter in this situation, but it is with Mary as she comes out to meet. Jesus, it's an interesting narrative and situation, uh, one that we don't know a whole lot of today. I grew up in a large family in a small community, and in that community, when someone would pass away, the whole community kind of rallied to the moment, especially the church family. And so, when uh, when our family would gather, and then our friends would come around, the house would be like a beehive of activity. And I I grew up. with my great-grandparents and with my grandparents. I had a very large extended family and had the blessing of knowing three generations of parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. And I can remember when my great-grandfather died, I was 10 years old, and it was like like an ev- It was like a season of the year. It wasn't just a couple of hours of the day, right? And, and, and when my great-grandfather passed away, his brother was there. And, and, of course, my great-grandmother, his wife, was there. And I remember that the ladies, not only my grandmother and my mother, but the ladies from the church would go, you need to keep an eye on her because we just need to stay with her. She's grieving and we want someone to be with her to comfort her. And that's just the way funerals happened. They were, they were not over in a couple of hours like we so often see today. But rather they were extended periods so that people would have time to grieve and to mourn and to do so with other people. And that's what's taking place here. When Mary gets up to go out, it tells us that those who were there, they were bird-dogging her. They were making sure that she wasn't alone because in her grief, they didn't want her to mourn alone. And so they quickly followed her out, thinking that she was going to the tomb. And When she comes out to meet Jesus, her first words to Jesus are identical to Martha's. Lord, if you had been here, you could have prevented my brother from dying. Friends, I want to pause here for just a moment. And I want to remind us of this. That we can glean so much from other people, from their wisdom and from their knowledge, even from their experiences. But no one can learn our lessons for us. When Mary encounters Jesus, Martha's encounter with him will not suffice. We must ask our own questions. Each of us must wrestle with our own unbelief for no one else can believe in Jesus for you. No one else's encounter will ever suffice for you. And as long as you try to live off of another's belief, off of another person's insight, or even off of another person's relationship with Jesus, Jesus will always only be a distant hope for you, but never a real person that is worthy of all of your worship. You see, friends, Jesus calls every person, each and every one of you, to a personal encounter with him to believe and to know who he is so when jesus sees the grief of mary out of their friendship and their relationship he's deeply moved and it's it says that everyone there recognizes this I mean, they even say, look how moved he is. Greatly, John writes, he is moved with compassion in that. And, and, and this gives us a lot of insight, not only into Jesus and his humanity, how he feels our hurts and our pain, how he understands where we are. We, we do not have a high priest, Hebrews says, who cannot sympathize with us, but rather one who has suffered in every way that we have and yet is without sin. This is the one who is grieving out of compassion because those he deeply loves are grieving deeply. That's what John is showing us here. We look get a deep insight into Jesus' humanity, but we also see God's character in this passage. You see, Jesus doesn't necessarily feel the same way that we do or when we feel it. But God does feel deeply for his children. And there's somebody here today who needs to understand that. Because your concept of God is cold, is removed. And there's good in him, but it's not this personal and it's not this compassionate. And what Jesus is showing us here today is God is deeply compassionate for his children. He's not cold or indifferent. But he has moved greatly by our hurts, by our sorrow, by our grief, and even by our pain. And in each of these encounters, friends, here's the question that we see rising to the top. If Jesus had arrived earlier, could he not have kept Lazarus alive? That is the one resounding comment that Martha makes to him, that Mary makes to him, and that even the Jews say about him. How powerful this is. And listen, friends, I don't want to diminish this at all. That's a phenomenal statement of belief, right? Jesus, we know that that you could have kept him alive if you had been here. But Jesus says, I have come. And this whole situation has been created that the glory of the Son of Man might be displayed to show that his power is greater than you've even surmised. Some events cause call, us all to ask the same questions, do they not? Situations that get out of our control, uh, that demonstrate the limits of humanity. And what demonstrates the limits of humanity more than death itself? Right? Right? I mean, that's the one thing that that no one gets away from. We all want to know this. God, what can you do for me in this life? And I secretly suspect that we fear this question. Will Jesus show up when I need him most? Is that not in our heart and in our mind so often when we look at the issues and the situations of life that are so far beyond our understanding, our comprehension, our power, our ability to do anything about them? We wonder if God will come through for us. Friends, I want us to see something here today in this passage. I want us to see three issues that are universal to all people. And I'm going to pose each of these issues to us in the form of a question, because these issues confront us where we are in life with this one belief of whether or not we will trust in Jesus. You see, every person who encounters Jesus is confronted by three issues in order to believe in him for eternal life. And we've just seen the first issue that we are confronted with, and here's what it causes us to ask, how far does your faith reach? To trust Jesus in life or to trust Jesus over life? Let me explain this. You see, the Jews knew that Jesus had power and authority in life, right? I mean, they even acknowledged one of the miracles that they had seen, but they referenced the many others that they knew of. He had given the blind sight. He had healed the sick. He had caused the lame to walk. He had made water into wine. He had multiplied food to a magnitude that was unimaginable. He had walked on water. He had even spoken, they said, and calmed the storms. You see, they presumed of Jesus this, that there was nothing in this world that he was unable to do. But what about outside this world? What about once a person died? You see, friends, we are all tempted by our understanding to believe that God's power is in some way limited limited and limiting in our life so often I find the opposite limitation on Jesus in the church you see we claim that we believe that Jesus can save us by taking us to heaven when we die but we don't trust that he is sovereign over our life in this world we dare to doubt that his power is actually sufficient to provide for us here and now I mean our our physical needs in, in the here and in the now of this life, or we don't believe that he will provide in the way that we think he should, in the way that we need, or in essence that we want, or that will in some way satisfy us in this life. You see, we often claim a readiness to trust Jesus, but we fail to submit control of our life to him. You see, the whole point of this story in Lazarus's death and specifically John's placement of this story here in his gospel, Jesus tells us from the beginning, it is that so the son of man will be glorified. You see chronologically this story is out of order. But John has taken a story that will occur later in time and placed it here into his gospel account because he wants to make a point for those who will read his gospel account that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and he works resurrecting power for life in all who believe in him because from this point forward in the gospel narrative of John there will be a very specific intentional strategic march to the cross and John's wanting us to know from this point forward God's got this under his control it's not getting out of his control it's not out of his hands that he is in control Jesus's glory reveals friends That he is sovereign, not only in all of life, but over all of life. And do you know what sovereign means? Sovereign means that Jesus is unbound. There is no limitation on him. There is no governance of his power that is placed upon him by anything, neither in this life, in this world, in this realm, or any other You see, when Jesus came to earth, Philippians 2 tells us that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And what Paul tells us is that he willingly laid down his glory to become a man and to obey the Father that the Father might honor him in his obedience and lift him up to a place of glory. You see, when you believe and you submit your life to Jesus as he did to the Father, God glorifies his Son in you with a resurrecting power to bring you up from where you are in the deadness of your sin and to bring you into the presence of where God is. That's what salvation is all about. And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life, it's not that knowing something about Jesus in some way achieves or earns for us this resurrecting life, but in Jesus the person of God himself the son of God the son of man who has come is being glorified that we might put our faith in him and find a life that we can never earn achieve or merit in any way on our own that's the encounter that has taken place here today no one else's encounter will Jesus with Jesus will ever suffice for you friends Jesus calls you personally to behold him and believe in him. You see, faith in Jesus must be personal for salvation because believe, believe is the deepest, most personal expression of one's being. For Lane to say, I believe, takes all of my knowledge takes all of my wisdom, all of my understanding, it takes all of my relationships, it takes every element, every aspect, every realm, every sphere of who I am as a person and it expresses when I say I believe and I place my belief in that, it is the deepest, most intimate personal expression of one's being that can be made. Why? Because all of the faculties of my life are given to that which I believe in. That's what God is calling forth from you. When he gives you the revelation of who he is to behold him and the invitation to believe in him. Friends, I want to ask you today, is Jesus lord over your life or is he just a really good guy to have around just in case you need him that's what this encounter begins with that's what Jesus is showing himself as sovereign and faithful that's what Jesus wants to show us today. The best way to discern whether or not you're fully submitted to God is this. That when hard times, when hurt arise, when pain and grief strikes, look at your first response. Where do you turn? Do you turn to Jesus and say this, Jesus, if you'd gotten here earlier, you could have prevented this. You see, friends, that, that's not necessarily a wrong statement. That's not even a bad statement. What I'm saying to you is that this first issue confronts us in this way. It's an incomplete statement. Jesus is not just sovereign in this life, in this world, in situations. Jesus is sovereign over all. All. Is your first response to say, Jesus, if you had gotten here earlier, you could have prevented this? Or do you bow to Jesus and pray, Lord, your will be done in my life today and always. God's work saves people from sin for his glory. Your life, Christian, is for God's glory. God works through every circumstance and situation, through every relationship and every hardship as well, to accomplish his will for his glory. Glory. When you find in your life that you cannot or you will not wait on God and His perfect timing, you can know that you are not believing to receive, but hear me, you are demanding upon Him to control. In other words, you're placing a governor, a limitation upon His sovereignty that will never stick. Faith that demands God work in our time instead of relying on his perfect timing reveals a lack of believing, not a demonstration of it. And so I ask you, as we are confronted by this first issue, how far does your faith reach? Is Jesus sovereign over your life or only good to have in your life? Jesus works resurrection power, friends, for all believe in him let's go back to verse 38 because there's one more encounter that we will see here and I would argue it's the greatest encounter that we will find then Jesus verse 38 deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it friends we've read the end of the story okay we know how it ends I'm going to ask you something do you smell anything John's given us some foreshadowing here. And and you can smell the victory coming through it if you read slow enough and hard enough. You know, I wonder, I wonder if this moment right here is maybe one of the moments that Mary and Martha had flashed back through their heart when they went early the next morning to Jesus' tomb. You ever think about that? You ever have a moment in your life when God reveals himself as glorious and powerful and faithful? And then later in life, as you're confronted by an unknown situation, a circumstance that that is significantly outside of your scope of ability, Or even knowledge. You you are rent. You have nothing to offer. You don't know which way to turn. You don't know what to think or what to do. But in that moment. you, You feel a familiarity of presence. And the spirit of God deep within you says. Hey. We've been here before. You may not know. But I'm with you. It's okay. We can move forward. I'm telling you we get the benefit of looking back into Mary and Martha's life and to see how God works in our life. For there's not a moment, there's not a second that is wasted that God doesn't want his glory to be a bedrock, a foundation for us to say, I am with you. And so there's a big cave with a big old rock in front of it. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Friends, pause there for just a moment. I I want you to see some character of God in this. God welcomes your reminders to him. He's big enough to handle all your frailties and your failings and your doubts. Yea, even your unbelief. But listen to me. When you remind him as Martha reminds Jesus, do not fail then to stop and let him remind you of what he wants you to know in your life. And listen, knowing that he has heard from you, and he is compassionate to you, and he cares for you. And he wants to address all of that in what he wants to show you. Verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This, friends, is the greatest encounter with Jesus because Lazarus' encounter is different from the first two, or actually three that we've seen if you put the Jews into this. You see, the first two demonstrate that confirmed confrontation that challenges us about God's sovereignty in life but Lazarus's encounter which he has nothing to offer reveals the demonstration of God's power in his life it demonstrates the result of what it means to believe in Jesus This strong foreshadowing, such an incredible encouragement to us. For Jesus reminds them again, this whole situation isn't about Lazarus. It's not about Martha. It's not about Mary. And friends, I'm going to tell you this. Your encounters with Jesus aren't about you. They are for you and God is working in you. But they are about the only one who is worthy of the glory, Jesus and he is the one to whom we want to see revealed. God removes the barriers that he might reveal himself in order to give you greater understanding and to bring you into deeper intimacy with him. And what does Jesus do? His first act is to what? To pray. I love this. Jesus does not presume upon the Father. Rather, he gives thanks. That's a good lesson for us. And he, then he goes on to say this. That the whole prayer he's praying is not just for him, but it's for those who are listening to him. Because he wants them to know that his whole reason for coming to earth is to do the Father's work. And he and the Father are one. That will be a continuing theme through the rest of John's gospel, that Jesus has come to do God's work. They are one. When you see Jesus working, you can know God is working. When you see Jesus acting, you can see insight into the character and the nature of who God is. That's what he's showing, the oneness that he has with the Father and that he was sent to do the Father's work. And the question is, what is the Father's work? And the next verse says this. Jesus commands life. He cries out in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. So simple. So concise. So powerful. You see, God's glory, friends, is sure when his command goes forth. There's no uncertainty about whether or not it will actually happen. When God speaks... There's nothing because he is sovereign that can prevent his word from coming to full fruition. That's what the prophet Isaiah tells us. He will not be thwarted because he is sovereign. Jesus didn't go in and get him, but what did he do? He called him and he called him out to him. Jesus shows that nothing in this world or any other can thwart God's will and God's work. And then that gap between verse 43 and 44, when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. I don't know how long of a period of time it was right after that, but you can only imagine some of the chaos that immediately struck the minds and the hearts of everybody standing around. Uh, He knows he's dead, right? He'd been in there four days, four whole days. What's he doing? I mean, there is a sense in which everybody froze for a minute. But what they didn't know and what we had the advantage of understanding is it wasn't just the people who were frozen for the instant. But when God sends forth the command, all creation stands still until it is obeyed in his power. It wasn't just the people who were struck by the encounter with Jesus, but because he is God, all of creation was struck because the King of kings and the Lord of lords had spoken, and until that command is obeyed, nothing can continue. Nothing. This is the one who laid down his life for us. He is sovereign over all. And when he speaks a command, there's not a question as to whether it will be obeyed. There's never a question of what might happen next. And what does John say? That's what he tells us. The man who was dead came out. I love this. You know, in verse 44, it says the man who was dead came out. Verse 43 says... Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Scholars have rightly said that if Jesus didn't call Lazarus by name, we would have had a walking dead situation come up before the series ever was conceived. Every person over thousands of years that had ever been put in a grave would have immediately gotten up and walked out. Why? Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords said, come out. But what did Jesus do? He said, Lazarus. And what is John doing? When he said the dead man came out. Friends, I'm going to tell you, this most generic, straightforward explanation of what happened that removed Lazarus' name may be the most encouraging phrase in all of the scriptures. John is telling us that it is the name of whom Jesus calls that will come out of the grave. But he tells us here that Lazarus won't be the only name that Jesus calls. And when Jesus calls your name, you will come out of the grave because he has authority not only in life, but also in death. It's so calmly, it's so matter-of-factly, but it's the most encouraging phrase in the story. Jesus rules all creation by the command of his word. Let me ask you this, friends. Is the command of Jesus' word enough for you? Enough for him to rule your life? It tells us that when Lazarus came out, his hands and his feet were bound. And, and you know, uh, commentaries tell us that scholars argue over how it is that he could have walked out with his hands and feet bound. Really? Really? I mean, dude comes out of the grave after four days and you want to argue about his attire? Well, I don't know how he could walk if he really did that. That just seems like, you know, I'm like, wow, hair split, right? Right? Friends, when Jesus says unbind him and let him go, he he, by the power of his resurrection removes every hindrance that sin has placed upon him in death. And he sets him free, sets him free from that which has entangled and bound him. Jesus beats death before he ultimately defeats it once and for all because Satan has always been a defeated foe. You need to let that settle deep into your heart, friends. Satan never, not for one inkling of a moment, posed a threat to Jesus. There in anything Satan might impact upon your life as a Christ follower that Jesus can't fully heal and redeem. Do you understand that? There's never a moment Jesus went, oh, to Satan. He's always been a defeated foe, and he's of no threat to Jesus. And what does John do? He ends not with a loud celebration. I don't know about you. Somebody walks out of the uh, tomb after four days, that's worth celebrating. But that's not the way John ends this narrative. He ends not with loud celebration, just with a calm matter of fact. But you know what that is? It's weight. It's heavy. It's real. Why? Because it's glory. It's glory from God through Jesus the Son. And this brings us to our second issue to consider how it is that we respond to Jesus' resurrection power. Issue number two causes us to ask this question. How limited are you living because you're doing everything but believing in Jesus Now, before you respond that your life isn't somehow limited, consider this. Every time that a hurt is unhealed in your life, every time a pain goes unresolved or a question goes unanswered, every time a conflict is festering or a fear is simmering, every time an anxiety begins to swirl or a longing is left unsatisfied, every time a sin still entangles you, every time a condemnation still weighs upon you, every time the guilt burns within you, friends, you are living limited from all that God wants to do in your life. And that's what I'm pressing towards today. How limited are you living because you're doing everything other than believing in Jesus? Because Jesus is working for you to behold him and to believe so you can walk in obedience with him. Every command of God is a life-giving promise of his resurrection power. And no matter what kind of black hole you have managed to dig yourself into, you should hear this from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God, it says, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the power of God. The God who created all that is from nothing gives life even to those who are dead. And that's what Lazarus was, dead. God shines his light through Jesus that we might behold And believe. You know why Lazarus came out of that tomb? Go out on a limb here because Jesus said to. Yeah, that's right. He didn't come out because he chose to. Lazarus didn't come out of the tomb because he weighed the options and he found that that to be a better option to come out than to stay in. You know. You, you don't see Lazarus uh, uh, making a, a list of pros and cons and weighing the options and which might be a better decision for me to make. He came out because Jesus commanded him to come out. And he came out as all creation was stilled until the command of the King of kings and the Lord of lords was obeyed. At that moment, God was revealed. Life was commanded and glory was displayed through Jesus. Lazarus came out to life because Jesus called his name. Friends, unbelief wants to deceive us to think that that might only be for Lazarus. You might argue, well, Lazarus obeyed because he didn't have a choice. Christian, that's exactly what I'm trying to get at right now. Do you really think that by the commands of God, no matter what they are, no matter what reference they are found, that it's optional? Is it optional? Are you Pros and cons against God's word based on your own knowledge, based on your own experience, based on what the world has told you, based on what people are feeding you in your heart and in your mind? Are you weighing the options about whether God's command is worthy to be obeyed or not? Lazarus didn't. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. Friends, your obedience doesn't make Jesus' work real, but it does reveal him as really in you. If you're not a Christian here today and you're wondering, if at the end of all time, when it's been written, and your name didn't make it into the history books, will you be remembered? I'm going to tell you, friends, with great confidence, you can know this. God's already told us the answer to that. There's not one who believes in him whose name will be forgotten. Because in the end, listen to me, Jesus will not say, come out! And everybody moves from this world to the next with a grand party. That's not the way it ends. Jesus will call by name every individual who's believed in him. And he will command life from death. And those are the ones who will come out to meet him. The question isn't, does God know your name? The question is, have you confessed his? That's what this kind of encounter Leads us to consider Jesus is the resurrection and the life. How limited are you living because you're doing everything other than believing in Jesus? This is the third issue, and I'll close quickly with this. Since Jesus has conquered the grave with all authority and power over life. Why won't you trust him with your life? Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11 Paul gives us you might call it just a brief instruction manual on how it is we trust him for all of life. I'm only going to read the first two verses. Verse 7 says this but whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed I count everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my lord paul counts everything as lost just for knowing christ in other words he's saying this that an ongoing daily growing intimate relationship with jesus is of more value no matter what it costs than any earthly accomplishment achievement rich rich or reward Friends, if you want to know Jesus' power, you have some life accounting to do, some costs to count. And here is the formula. What is it that holds your heart from selling out to Jesus? To believe in him, to trust him, to treasure him, to obey him. Jesus works with resurrection power for life for all who believe in him.